Hey friends, welcome back to Eco Chic, the podcast all about practical science and sustainability. This is episode 87. My name is Laura Diaz. Welcome back. I'm really happy to have y'all here today. I hope you're having a really good week. A lot of fun stuff has been happening lately here at Eco Chic. We have a bonus episode that came out last Thursday, which is called the Zero Waste Starter Pack. I really like the format of that particular episode, and I hope to continue these starter pack style episodes in the future. It's a 10-minute episode, kind of just introducing you a 101 level intro to the zero waste movement and encouraging you some ways to think about a lower waste lifestyle. If you're new to the environmental movement, if you're interested in going lower waste, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast. It's episode 86. And I also give recommendations of previous episodes here on EcoChic. So if you want to go back and learn more about one particular topic that I may have mentioned, you have all the resources right there in the show notes. So I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I'm getting a lot of really good feedback. So it seems like it was a really helpful one. And I hope to continue putting out starter pack type episodes in the future. Let me know what you want to hear about. What is a topic that you need a really basic intro to so that you can start thinking more deeply about, especially going into the new year. I feel like we are all going to be setting really nice resolutions around environmental topics. Maybe it's being better about bringing your reusable water bottle with you every day. I know that personally, my sustainability-focused environmental resolution is probably going to be to take more public transportation when I can I don't drive a whole lot, but when I do drive, I know that I could be doing better if I had checked public transportation options or maybe like a lift pool as opposed to taking a single lift or something like that. So that's my personal resolution. I would love to hear yours and I would love to help you along with those in those starter pack episodes. I also want to mention in going along with those environmental goals that you're trying to meet, if you're interested in purchasing anything from Totally Eco Chic, our sister brand of sustainability supplies and podcast merch and apparel, you can definitely use the code Eco Chic. I'm really excited to have now like a podcast specific code for the shop. But if you use the code Eco Chic, you will get a percentage off of your purchase. And so that is a really great place to start if you're interested in maybe looking at produce bags, reusable silicone bags to replace Ziplocs, things like that. But again, Eco Chic. I think that's all the housekeeping I have for right now. I would love to also encourage you to leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode. It's a great way for me to figure out what you like to listen to, what you want to hear of in the future. Let's get right into today's episode. We are talking today about the benefits of eating lower in the food chain, and more specifically, we are on the topics of bioaccumulation and biomagnification. So these sound like really lofty terms, but you are probably already vaguely familiar with them in some capacity. I think that the idea of eating lower in the food chain is familiar to a lot of us in the form of a plant-based or vegan lifestyle. Maybe you think that eating more plants is beneficial for you because you are intaking more nutrients and more vitamins from, again, a more colorful, diverse plate of plants, especially compared to a more animal product-focused meal that is higher in saturated fat. We also know that a plant-based diet requires far less resources, less water, less energy, less land than a diet relying more heavily on animal agriculture. However, today we're going to be talking about toxins. We're talking about why it's healthier for you to eat lower in the food chain, why you may want to avoid regularly eating larger predatory animals as your main source of protein. I also want to preface this all with the idea that I'm coming at this from a purely biological environmental standpoint. I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a doctor, but I can talk to you about biology and I can talk to you about environmental science. And I'm excited to be sharing today's episode with you 
because it's something that you're probably already, again, vaguely familiar with. You buy organic produce probably because you don't want to ingest pesticides. You buy hormone-free meat if you're a carnivore because you don't want to be eating those extra hormones and biting them into your diet. The idea of bioaccumulation is essentially the buildup of a toxic chemical in the tissue of an organism. The animal is ingesting these toxins and it's kind of just sitting in their systems. It usually sits in fattier cells and fatty deposits, but these toxins, again, are just in the organism building up on their own. And then biomagnification is like a sister topic. Biomagnification is the increased concentration of a toxic chemical the higher an animal is on the food chain. And this makes sense because if you have a smaller fish, let's say, that is ingesting some sort of toxic chemical, a larger fish comes along and eats it. That larger fish already had some of the toxins in their system. Now they have a magnified amount of those toxins because they've eaten the smaller fish that also contain them. If you've ever heard about microplastics being in your food, this is the same sort of principle, the idea that a smaller animal is ingesting them and the plastics are going up and up the food chain as those animals are eaten. Now, I want to give you guys a little story, a little case study, if you will, to better understand these concepts in action. So we're going to be talking about birds in this concept. This is a really classic example of bioaccumulation in a system. There were birds in the 1960s that were observed to be laying some super brittle eggs. There was a decline in the populations of certain birds of prey, like the osprey, the eagle, big birds, and their eggshells were so thin that the baby birds just were not surviving to full term. So let's remember this was in the 60s. There were some scientists that figured out that DDT, which is a pesticide that the military was spraying pretty freely up until its ban in 1972, was accumulating in these birds. And DDT is a calcium mimic. So the DDT that was in this environment that the birds were being exposed to was accumulating in their bodies and the birds were passing it along to their offspring. And again, since it's a calcium mimic, the eggshells were really, really thin. Once DDT was banned, the levels of DDT present in bird species or even fish species, this happened across a couple of different animal groups, was significantly lessened. So there are still some parts of the country where you have DDT available in the environment in some capacity, but this is the classic example of bioaccumulation. It was written about by Rachel Carson in Silent Spring, 1962, and Silent Spring was really the book that brought America to awareness of the environmental impacts that were going on, not only with DDT, but really across the board and prompted a lot of environmental regulation to be written. So with that, let's talk about how this impacts you and your diet. There are government limits on how much of a particular toxin can be present in a food item. This is most concerning usually with fish, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But if there are government limits on a particular mercury content, let's give that example, that assumes that every single piece of fish that hits a supermarket is tested for mercury. Now, let's be real here, people. There is a 0% chance that every single piece of fish that's hitting a U.S. grocery store is getting tested. We absolutely do not have the resources to keep up with that kind of constant influx of animal product into grocery stores. It doesn't happen. That leaves a lot of room for error when it comes to the safe limits of particular toxins that are allowed into our animal products into our grocery stores. This episode concept first came to me after watching an IGTV video by Shark Girl Madison. I shared this on my story a couple weeks ago, and it was essentially about shark meat. 
So the filmmaker goes to a Publix supermarket in South Florida and buys a filet of shark meat. She knows from her research experience how to test it for mercury, and she goes ahead and finds out that the legal limit is far, far exceeded in this particular filet that she brings home. I believe it's like over three times the allowable legal limit. And then she does the math over what course of time a person would be victim to food poisoning if they're eating this much shark meat over a week, over the course of a year. So it's a really, really eye-opening video on how supermarkets interact with their consumers and also how to test for legal limits. She doesn't get into like the chemical background of it or anything, but she does explain how bioaccumulation happens when you are buying shark meat specifically from a supermarket. She gave this particular case study in her video, and this is also a great story to be familiar with if you're interested in the accumulation of toxins in our food. This is kind of a serious example, but it's like the classic case study on the topic of biomagnification. Again, the buildup of toxins as you increase in the food chain as you go up the trophic levels. I've seen this before like on Jeopardy and it's just a really good topic if you're not familiar with bioaccumulation or biomagnification. We are talking here about Minamata disease. I first learned about it as Minamata Bay disease. Sometimes it is called a couple different names, but essentially Minamata Bay is a fishing community in Japan and this story is set in the 1950s, 1960s. The Cliffs Notes version of Minamata Bay disease is essentially that there was a chemical factory in the city that was dumping their wastewater filled with methyl mercury into the bay of this fishing community. Mercury is toxic to humans. Mercury, again, is bioaccumulated, so it built up in individual fish and shellfish, and it biomagnified. So as the larger fish were eating the smaller fish, levels of mercury increased really dramatically. This, again, was a fishing community. So the people were eating these bigger predatory fish, and this resulted in mercury poisoning. People were having convulsions, difficulty walking, speaking, loss of vision, insanity, paralysis, and ultimately a lot of mysterious deaths that there was no clear answer for at the time. There are people still to this day that are getting payouts from this chemical company over the long-term damage that this had not only to the population's health, but also to the health of the environment. And over 50% of the people that were identified as having Minamata disease in this particular community during that time frame, ultimately died from it. So this was the first like really big community-wide example of mercury poisoning, but it's a great story to get familiar with because it has occurred in other areas. It's happened in other regions. It's always called Minamata disease, but you can find it all over the world. So again, I'm not telling you this story to scare you. I'm not saying that every piece of fish that you've ever consumed in your life has unhealthy levels of mercury. I'm just saying that you really don't know what you are purchasing when you're buying fish or other animal products at a grocery store. So mercury is a fish-specific issue, and most of the time when we talk about biomagnification, it's best exemplified in fish. However, this does happen across the board with different toxins, with different chemicals, in different animal products. So like I mentioned earlier, the idea of buying hormone-free meat, it's because when you are buying traditionally raised beef, for example, you don't know the amount of hormones that were given to that cow or that they're ingesting from whatever they are eating on the farm and how much of that is ending up in your body on your plate. At the end of the day, I know that we all know this, but it's also really interesting to remind ourselves we are top predators in the food chain. Humans are really the top of the food chain. So if there is any chemicals, any toxins, 
any sketchy grossness going on at the bottom of the food chain, it is just going to continue to travel up from the level of plankton, grasses, whatever is being eaten at the very bottom, it will all ultimately end up in your system. So for that reason, I think it's really important for us to normalize and encourage plant-based diets not being an everyday ride or die, you have to be fully vegan thing. That means that yes, go ahead and have your once a week fish filet, but don't forget to go for a vegan meal every once in a while. Don't forget to eat a meatless Monday or encourage yourself to think about plant-based meals more often than you currently do not only for your health, but also your environmental footprint. Like we mentioned earlier, plant-based diets have a much lower resource requirement compared to more animal-based diets. Of course, in this day and age, it is almost impossible to get a completely hormone-free, toxin-free, chemical-free meal or plate unless you are growing every single thing you eat. For the most part, we are all going to be exposed to toxins in some capacity, but eating a plant-based diet definitely lessens the amount of toxins that are coming into your plate. Again, I'm not a nutritionist, but this is from a purely biological standpoint. A plant-based diet is the best way to ensure that you are ingesting as few chemicals, pesticides, hormones as possible. I hope this was a really interesting episode for you. I think it's interesting to think about nutrition and plant-based diets from this capacity, from this more like chemical standpoint. If you want to learn more about EPA regulations or regulations in our food systems of what we are allowed to eat, I would love to dive into those topics. There's a lot of really great resources online, but I will also link in the show notes the IGTV video, again, that I mentioned of Shark Girl Madison testing this shark meat at Publix. I thought it was a really, really interesting video to watch, like less than 10 minutes, but a great resource if you're interested in learning more about mercury and bioaccumulation and anything along those lines. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I hope it was informative and educational, and I hope it didn't scare anyone too much. I think these are all just really great case studies and stories for us to be familiar with so we actually understand how our food and our environment are constantly interacting. I love to say that nothing in our lives operates within a vacuum. Everything is tied to the environment in some capacity, and I think that this is a really interesting angle to look at it from. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit me with those five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And also you can chat with me on Instagram at EcoChicPodcast or my personal pages at Laura e. Diaz. Both are always in the show notes. You can send me an email, Laura at LauraEDiaz.com. I really do love talking to you and getting to know you. With that, I hope you're having an awesome day and I'll talk to you really, really soon. Bye.